Good morning. Um, so the reason we do stuff like that, the reason we take a, a chunk of time um, when you already know that I take too much time anytime I'm up here, Darren made fun of me last week when I wasn't here, um, is because we really believe that this is what Jesus has called us to do as his church. You know, go and make disciples. Be followers of Jesus who keep making more followers of Jesus. And you heard Jordan say it, like right here where God has you right now, wherever he sends you, wherever he calls you all over the world. And we just want to keep giving you opportunities to have personal connections uh, with missionaries as those come up and are available. You know, we've got Faith and Miguel in Peru um, that I got to introduce you to a couple of years ago, and we continue to pray for their marriage. And when Jordan was talking about, hey, missionaries have clay feet, and we're strugg- we struggle sometimes. We've walked through some of those struggles with them, and I ask you to keep praying for them. Um, we've got the Browns, who just headed to Italy a few months ago. I got to um, talk with uh, Josh yesterday. We've been studying the past several weeks through Malachi together. We wrapped up Malachi yesterday. And so he and I continue to talk once a week um, pray for them and support them. They're doing really well. They passed their first language learning test this past week, so that's a great update just for you to know. Uh, in the first two years they're there, they have to pass four levels like to kind of be where they want to be, to be able to communicate the gospel clearly. And so three months in, they've passed level one, and they were really excited about that. And now you get to meet Jordan today. And I'm sure you picked up on this, but the area of the world that he and Becky are in is the kind of area where we can't really, since we're streaming that live on the Internet, we can't talk about exactly where they are uh, for security reasons and exactly what they do. But they work with an organization where they're in, um, in schools teaching, but they, like the, the material that he picks for his literature class, he intentionally picks stuff where he can talk about the gospel all the time in the class. Um, and his wife's doing the same thing. He and his wife met on the mission field. You know, you heard him say, I was single when I got called. Well, where he got called, where she got called, they met there. Um, we were trying to work it out to do in person here on a Sunday morning an interview, but with their travel schedule, they're not here very long. Um, and so they weren't going to be here on a Sunday when they were available. And I was like, well, let's just do a video call then before you even get here so the church can at least meet you and get to know you. Because Lou had the personal contact, I wanted him to do the interview. We will have some information. Jordan's here, like he said, Tuesday and Wednesday. We're going to get some support information from him and have that available next Sunday morning. But all of that is because we believe that God's calling us to do the exact same thing that he's calling Jordan and Becky and Josh and Selena and Faith and Miguel to do. Like It's not just we go to the ends of the earth there to make disciples. We do. And I pray that he keeps calling people out of our church to do that. But it's we go to the ends of the earth there, and we go to the ends of the earth here to make disciples. And that's why we study the Bible the way that we're getting ready to study the Bible right now. When Jordan was saying, be gospel fluent, be able to have these conversations, and be able to tell people that Jesus is the answer. Every single week when we read the Bible together, we're trying to give you a tool where we say, you can do this. If you have the Spirit and the Word, you can sit down with anybody, anywhere, anytime, and say, let's look at what God says in the Bible, let's ask what it teaches us about God, and let's get to know God in this way. Let him speak to us and reveal. Let him give us the answers, and let us see how all of this connects to what God has done in Jesus and who he has shown us that he is in Jesus. And so we're going to do that again together right now. Um, We're starting a new series, and I'm really excited about this one. We're going to look at all the I am statements that Jesus makes in the Gospel of John. And each of the guys on the teaching team is going to take at least one of those and 
whatever's left over at the end, I may wrap up or they may take another one each. And so we'll be working through those basically leading up to Easter. But today, kind of as an introduction, we're going to back up to the very first time that we have it recorded in the Bible that God reveals his name as I am. And so if you want to turn to Exodus chapter 2, um, again, Darren made fun of me last week. And I should say, Darren's not here this morning. They had a family funeral that they had to go to, so it's a perfect time for me to respond to everything that he said last week. So while you're turning to Exodus chapter 2, I'll do that real quick. First of all, I want to say thank you to Darren and to all of you because I got to listen online last week, and we were out of the state. Sydney had her first ever indoor track meet, and it was in Alabama, and she really wanted me to go with her, and so I was glad to do it anyway. Um, but Darren taught, and I got to listen online and listen to the things that, that you all shared, that God showed you last week. It was just a great morning of truth about the gospel and truth about Jesus. Um, and it's always great for me to get to sit and listen and, and hear, but to hear the things that you said and he said, um, I was really grateful for that. Secondly, I, I want to compliment Darren um, because you may not know this, but a lot of preachers have a tendency to exaggerate and even um, overstate things for emotional impact in the moment up here. And, you know, like I've heard preachers have like some kind of dental work done and they get up here and act like they were walking through the valley of the shadow of death to make a point. So when Darren told you that he had a, a medical emergency and a gallbladder surgery and it was really humbling for him, he was using that as an illustration of being humbled. Let me tell you something. Like he had a medical emergency. The doctor told him, that was like two weeks before he taught, that when they pulled his gallbladder out, it was the largest gallbladder he had ever seen. That it was like the size of a football, and it was dead and filled with infection. And so like he very much understated it. But when he was talking about being humbled, I want to tell you what that looks like for Darren. He is the kind of guy that really loves food, and he loves to hang out with people who love food. And if you cramp his style at all, like if you go and he buys some kind of meatball sub at Firehouse and it's January and you're trying to eat healthy so you order a salad, he will boo you to your face in front of the cashier when you order. <laughs> Keith can testify to this. Keith has seen me get booed before for what I order in front of Darren. So that's who Darren usually is. Like he'll boo you for ordering healthy food. He'll boo you for ordering water. Well, his gallbladder dies on him, and they're like, hey, you got to eat super healthy the next few weeks, at least until your body adjusts to not having a gallbladder. And so you go from eating anything you want to being the type of person who would have to order a baked potato at Wendy's, and it is really humbling for him. That's the type of person he is, and i I got to admit, I've been getting a lot of joy out of being like, did you get water today? What do you... You're ordering a baked potato? What's wrong with you? So, it was a true story. It's been very humbling for him, and I just figured I'd take part in his sanctification and keep helping him get more and more humble. Um, in all seriousness, he's a great friend. Lou's a great friend. Each of these guys on the teaching team, I'm really grateful for all of them. I'm excited about them teaching through um, these I am statements these next few weeks and us getting to hear those together. So, I do want us to jump in here. Um, we're going to do Exodus 2, halfway through chapter 4. Here's the reason. This I am statement is right in the middle of the story of God calling Moses and rescuing the Israelites out of Egypt. And I just couldn't find a place to break it off. And I figured, you know, Darren got you out. I think he said 1133 last week. 
So he banked some extra time for us today. And then Lou took all the extra time that he banked. Yeah, that was a 10-minute interview. Uh, yeah, I, I, knew, I did know better. That's, that's why I told Keith, do one less song. Like, you know Lou's going to take your song. Um, <clears throat> but I think that interview with Jordan is well worth it. Like, I'm so thankful that you've heard what you've heard. As we read through this, just so you know what's going on, God's people have been slaves in Egypt. They've cried out to God to rescue them. But Pharaoh has given an order that every Israelite boy that is born has to be drowned in the Nile because there are so many Israelites now that he feels like they're a threat to his nation. That's where we are when we're picking up today. It's right in the middle of the story, but I just want you to know, as we jump into the story of Moses to see who God is as God reveals himself to Moses, that's where we are in the story. So I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pick up here at the beginning of Exodus 2. As I read, be listening for what does this teach us about God? And, and we'll have a few minutes for you to share what you're hearing. But then beyond that, I am going to point us to this name of God, I am, and I am who I am. And we'll talk about that for a few minutes at the end, leading into this series we're starting for the next few weeks. So let's pray together. Father, thank you for this time right now. Please teach us by your spirit, from your word, as only you can. Open up the truth of your word to us and open us up to the truth of your word. Father, please give us spiritual eyes to see you this morning and give us soft hearts, work in our hearts and stir up faith inside of us so that we believe what you say about yourself. We believe who you are. We trust you more and we worship you more and we love you more and, and we're drawn to, to live for you and make you known. Please keep doing that work in us as your people and your church for your purposes in your world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. All right, Exodus chapter 2. What's this teach about God? It is a little bit longer, so stick with me, but I think it really flows as one story here, so hopefully that won't be too big of a problem. Here we go. Now, a man of the tribe of Levi married a Levite woman, and she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. When she saw that he was a fine child, she hid him for three months. But when she could hide him no longer, she got a papyrus basket for him and coated it with tar and pitch. Then she placed the child in it and put it among the reeds along the bank of the Nile. His sister stood at a distance to see what would happen to him. Then Pharaoh's daughter went down to the Nile to bathe, and her attendants were walking along the riverbank. She saw the basket among the reeds and sent her female slave to get it. She opened it and saw the baby. He was crying, and she felt sorry for him. This is one of the Hebrew babies, she said. Then his sister asked Pharaoh's daughter, Shall I go and get one of the Hebrew women to nurse the baby for you? Yes, go, she answered. So the girl went and got the baby's mother. Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this baby and nurse him for me, and I will pay you. So the woman took the baby and nursed him. When the child grew older, she took him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. She named him Moses, saying, I drew him out of the water. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. The next day he went out and saw two Hebrews fighting. He asked the one in the wrong, why are you hitting your fellow Hebrew? The man said, who made you ruler and judge over us? Are you thinking of killing me as you killed the Egyptian? Then Moses was afraid and thought, what I did must have become known. 
When Pharaoh heard of this, he tried to kill Moses. But Moses fled from Pharaoh and went to live in Midian, where he sat down by a well. Now a priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came to draw water and fill, their trough, and fill the troughs to water their father's flock. Some shepherds came along and drove them away, but Moses got up and came to their rescue and watered their flock. When the girls returned to Ruel, their father, he asked them, Why have you returned so early today? They answered, An Egyptian rescued us from the shepherds. He even drew water for us and watered the flock. And where is he? Ruel asked his daughters. Why did you leave him? Invite him to have something to eat. Moses agreed to stay with the man who gave his daughter Zipporah to Moses in marriage. Zipporah gave birth to a son, and Moses named him Gershom, saying, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called for him from within the bush. Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go. I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name you shall call me from generation to generation. Go and assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt. 
And I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and for gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters, and so you will plunder the Egyptians. Moses answered, What if they do not believe me or listen to me and say, The Lord did not appear to you? Then the Lord said to him, What is that in your hand? A staff, he replied. The Lord said, throw it on the ground. Moses threw it on the ground, and it became a snake, and he ran from it. Then the Lord said to him, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. So Moses reached out and took hold of the snake, and it turned back into a staff in his hand. This, said the Lord, is so that they may believe that the Lord, the God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Then the Lord said, put your hand inside your cloak. So Moses put his hand into his cloak, and when he took it out, the skin was leprous. It had become as white as snow. Now put it back into your cloak, he said. So Moses put his hand back into his cloak, and when he took it out, it was restored like the rest of his flesh. Then the Lord said, if they do not believe you or pay attention to the first sign, they may believe the second. But if they do not believe these two signs or listen to you, take some water from the Nile and pour it on the dry ground. The water you take from the river will become blood on the ground. Moses said to the Lord, Pardon your servant, Lord. I have never been eloquent, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant. I am slow of speech and tongue. The Lord said to him, Who gave human beings their mouths? Who makes them deaf or mute? Who gives them sight or makes them blind? Is it not I, the Lord? Now go, I will help you speak and will teach you what to say. But Moses said, pardon your servant, Lord. Please send someone else. Then the Lord's anger burned against Moses. And he said, what about your brother Aaron, the Levite? I know he can speak well. He's already on his way to meet you, and he will be glad to see you. You shall speak to him and put words in his mouth. I will help both of you speak and will teach you what to do. He will speak to the people for you, and it will be as if he were your mouth and as if you were God to him. But take this staff in your hand so you can perform the signs with it. All right. I know that's a little bit longer, but there's just no good place to break it up. And so we didn't. It's also, it's one of my favorite stories in the Bible. And I can't believe I've never taught it in a large group setting before. So I'm kind of excited about these next few minutes. What did you see? What's that teach us about God? You all go first. God is a God of infinite patience. Tell us what you're looking at, Chris. I know we probably all see it, but point us there anyway. Yeah. So everything that God tells Moses to do, Moses has an excuse for why he shouldn't do it. 
And God patiently keeps responding to each of those and answering those objections. And his answers are really interesting. We may look at them in a minute. But we do see God's patience with Moses. Um, and the great thing about when you realize that God is an infinite God, you know, eternal, infinite, unending, limitless, that every single thing that's true about him, he has an infinite supply. Infinite love, infinite grace, infinite compassion, infinite righteousness, infinite holiness, infinite mercy, infinite patience. Um, so yeah, God is a God of infinite patience, and that's a really good thing for people like us, people who are as hard-headed as Moses. What else? God sees and hears the cries of his people, even when we don't immediately see his answer. You know, one of the themes that you hear throughout this is God saying, I've been seeing what my people are going through. I hear their cries. I'm concerned about their suffering. <coughs> and while they're going through it, they haven't seen an answer. They haven't been delivered yet. They haven't been rescued yet. So from their perspective, they haven't seen God doing anything yet. But the fact that they haven't seen God doing something doesn't mean that God doesn't see. It doesn't mean that God doesn't hear. It doesn't mean that God isn't listening. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care. And it doesn't mean that God isn't going to do something. Right? The whole time, even when they haven't known it, when they haven't been sure, when they've started to doubt or wonder, does God know? Does God remember? Does he remember the promises that he made to our people? Yes. The whole time he has seen them, he has known, he has cared, he has loved them, he's been concerned about what they're going through, and he has been working out his plan to deliver them. And I just want you to know for your life, God does see you. He knows where you are. He does care about your suffering. The things that hurt you matter to him. When you cry out to him, he hears you. He may not always answer the exact moment that you want him to or expect him to, but you can trust that he does love you and he does care and he is working out his good purposes and his answers in your life in a way that is best for everything that he has planned for you and for the other people around you. But it is a really big truth here. God sees you, God hears you, God listens to your cries, God has compassion and concern and care for you, especially when you're suffering. What else? <laughs> there is no excuse you can give God when he calls you. And if you don't mind me adding this, that he doesn't already know and have the answer for. We may get to come back to this a little bit in just a minute, but you see all these excuses that Moses gives when God calls him. And one of the things that I think is worth noticing, God never is like, oh, that's not true. Moses is like, I don't speak very well. And God's like, yeah, I know. <laughs> Made your mouth. Didn't call you because you speak real well. <laughs> what if they don't believe me? Well, I'll take care of that. It's not, well, you're really believable. You'll convince them. 
Like there's not, if you go back and read it, there's not a single thing that Moses says about himself where God's like, well, actually, you're, you're, you're better than you're giving yourself credit for. Not a single time. Moses is like, hey, I don't have this, and God's like, yeah, but you got me. His strategy is never with Moses. Oh, well, actually, you're good enough. You, you can do this. You have what you need. Every single time, he's like, no, I am what you need, and I promise to give myself to you. And so every excuse that Moses comes up with, even if they're true about himself, God's like, irrelevant. Not about you. If, if God had called Moses because Moses was qualified, then Moses' qualifications would matter, right? Like if it was like, well, hey, Moses is the best speaker we got. Moses is the most charismatic leader we got. Moses is the most righteous guy we've got. Well, then the moment that Moses isn't a good speaker or isn't charismatic enough or isn't a good enough leader or isn't righteous enough, then we got a problem. Because the reason Moses got called was because he was all this stuff, and if he falls short, well, now he's not good enough. Well, the deal is God didn't call him for any of those reasons. He's a murderer who's been a shepherd for 40 years, pretty much by himself, leading nobody but sheep, and can't talk well. Humanly speaking, who calls this guy to rescue a nation out of slavery? Nobody. Why does God call somebody like that? so that you and I don't read this story and think, well, that's because of Moses. We read this story like only God could do this. This is because of God. And the crazy thing is we read this story and we still think it's because of Moses. And you're like, I could never be like Moses. I could never do something. No, you, you could never do something like this. Neither could Moses. But God uses people like Moses. This is why God can use you. The, the fact that you aren't qualified is the best qualification you have. The fact that you don't have what you need is the very thing that qualifies you for God to give you what you need. He gives his power to weak people. He gives what he is to those who are not. And so don't read this story and think it's about Moses. It's clearly about God. And that means your story is not about you. Your story is clearly about God. And if you will come with open hands, and just confess all the things that you don't have that you need, he's enough for you. You aren't disqualified by not having what you need. That's the first step toward being qualified. Admitting that you don't, confessing that you don't, and trusting that he does, and trusting that he offers it to you because of who he is. i got to stop for just a second so you can talk a little more, but we're, we'll come back to that. Any other truths you want to point out? So God's timing is about anything we can comprehend. And I mean, we can say wisdom, his sovereign plan. And I'm going to add one here that's going to seem random, but I'm going to say humor, like sense of irony. Um, and, and I'll tell you what I mean by all these in just a second. But I think to do this, let's try real quick. We've got to move fast the rest of our time, so buckle in. Um, also, by the way, 
when I started working through this section this week, I was like, Exodus 2 through 4 could be a whole series by itself. And so we're going to do the I am statements for the next seven weeks. If we need to come back and revisit this, like to bookend it, be like, first time God revealed his name, here it is. And then here's Jesus using that name all the time. And then let's go back and remind us. We can do that at the end. But look at, if you're in, if you turned on a device or in your Bible, look at Exodus 1, the part we didn't read. When, when Jacob, Israel, the, the, the guy that the Israelites get their name from, goes into Egypt with his family, Exodus 1.5 says the descendants of Jacob numbered 70 in all. Or you may have a footnote that says 75. So there's like 70 or 75 of them that go into Egypt. Now this is one of the, the really interesting things. If, if you remember that the Bible is one big continuous story and it's all about God. Like it's not a story about Abraham and then a story about Isaac and then a story about Jacob and a story about Joseph and then a story about Moses. This whole thing's about God. And God has been working in all of his people's lives the whole time. God showed up to Abraham when Abraham had zero children, his wife was barren, and he owned no land. And God made a promise to Abraham. He said, I'm going to make you into a great nation. In other words, you got no children, I'm going to make you into a whole bunch of people. You've got no land, I'm going to give you land that's big enough to be a nation. And again, see it right there. Abraham has nothing to qualify him for being the father of a nation. Like The only two things you need, people and land, are the two things he has none of. And God's like, I pick you. I pick the guy who cannot become a nation, and I'll make you a nation. So he makes that promise to Abraham. Abraham and Sarah miraculously have Isaac. Isaac has Jacob and Esau. Esau is the older of the twins, but God picks Jacob, the one that nobody else would pick. And listen, Jacob is a liar and a schemer and a cheater and a deceiver. His name means deceiver. <laughs> and God picks the guy that nobody else would pick. And then Jacob ends up having these 12 sons, and it's through all kinds of family dysfunction. He marries both sisters, and the sisters get in this competitive rivalry of who can have the most sons. Like it's a, the people are a mess, and God's keeping his promise. And then that family of 70 or 75 goes into Egypt, and in this time that John's talking about while they're there, this is the crazy thing. God uses Egypt like an incubator. And these 70 or 75 over the course of 400 years explode into 2 million. You think that God's forgotten them? This is God keeping his promise. This is them becoming a nation. Like this is what he told. He is using Egypt to grow a nation inside of Egypt. And then he's going to pull that nation out and be like, this is my nation now. And so even that, when you see his timing, why 400 years? To grow the nation that he promised. His wisdom, his sovereign plan. He knew what he was doing all along. They don't end up there on accident. They end up there because God intends to use this time to keep the promise that he made to Abraham. So, wisdom, sovereign plan. Now, when I said humor, a couple of things. They grow so large, like 75 becomes 2 million, that Pharaoh feels threatened by them. Like, they could take over the country now, there's so many of them. That's why he gives this order, drown all... <coughs> Sorry, I'm going to cough. <coughs> I'd been fighting that ever since I was reading Exodus 2. <clears throat> and it finally got me. That's why he gives the order, drown all the Israelite boys in the Nile. Because we can't have them keep growing as a nation. So God's kept his promise so well that it's a threat to Pharaoh now. Here's the irony. that you, and You've probably saw it in the story. But Pharaoh wants to drown God's boys. 
this one mom and dad decide to hide their baby, right, in a basket. Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, the baby, and then goes and pays Moses' own mom. Right? According to Pharaoh, Moses' mom is supposed to kill Moses, but now Pharaoh is paying Moses' mom to nurse Moses. And then this is the baby that God is going to raise to lead the people out from under Pharaoh's power. Like, you could never get a better story of God being in complete control of Pharaoh. He's like, yeah, you think you're going to kill my people? No, I'm going to use you to raise the guy in your own palace who leads my people out of your country. Now, it takes 80 years, right? From that moment when Moses is born to... 40 years of his life in the palace till he murders the guy, and then he flees, and 40 years in his life till God appears in the burning bush. God's timing, his wisdom, his sovereign plan. But the whole time, he's at work behind the scenes. The whole time, he's in control. The whole time, he knows what he's doing. Like the reason Moses gets rescued as a baby, and Pharaoh's daughter pays Moses' real mom to nurse him, and then Pharaoh raises this Hebrew boy that he gave an order. It's like, your order that he be dead means nothing when God wants to keep him alive. God can keep him alive in your own palace. <laughs> that whole time, God's working out his plan. He knows who he's raising up. And so This is just such a great truth right here. And I just see the humor of, she was supposed to kill him. She disobeyed the order. Now you pay him to nurse, nurse, pay her to nurse him. And then also the humor of, you want to kill all the, the Israelite boys? Well, I'm going to have you raise in your own palace the guy that's going to lead all the Israelites out of your country. Only God pulls off stuff like that. Let me give you the truths I wrote down. We're going to go, we'll take 10 minutes on this. Thanks, man. If you... Uh, if you hadn't gone so long, I'd have to talk even more, and it'd be real bad for me. So you did me a huge favor. Thank you. I'm really thankful that Lou's on the teaching team because it makes my average look better. You know, all those other guys, they get up here and they talk for 25 minutes. It's like, how do they do that? <laughs> okay. I wrote these down. We may come back and spend more time on them. Um, at the end, but I just I wanted to point them out. They're what stood, jumped out to me this week, and I want you to consider them as we head back into a couple more songs of worship uh, because of who God is. God often reveals himself to us in the wilderness. more than in the palace. Just don't forget Moses is out there tending sheep because he murdered a guy and had to flee for his life. And he's been out in the wilderness for 40 years now taking care of sheep. And this is when God shows up. I mean, this is, this is an epic moment in the history of the world when God is like, this is my name. This is who I am. And it happens to a murderer hiding in the wilderness, not to an adopted son of Pharaoh being raised in the palace. And listen, it's not that God can't reveal himself to you in your palace moments. Like those blessings are from his hand, and if you will see him in those blessings, that's what they're intended for. Like see his goodness. See his extravagant grace. See his blessing in your life, and thank him and praise him. But just know that there are certain things about God that almost always you will see them more clearly 
you will become, the way that Darren said last week, humble enough and desperate enough and broken enough to need him and want him and look to him in those moments that, that you just won't any other way. You will see things about him in the darkness, in the valley, in the pit, in the dark black hole, in the wilderness, in ways that you just can't when you're not there. It's kind of like walking out in broad daylight and the sun is so bright that there's lots of other things you can't see clearly. You know what I mean? That, that it either washes them out or it's like the, you can't see the stars. And you walk out in the, the black of night and God's like, there's other things I want you to know about me. I, I, I want you to know that I'm your son, but look at all my stars too. There's all these aspects of who he is that he's revealing to you. And so just one of the things I want to encourage you when these moments of suffering come, when the wilderness come, and it may be self-inflicted. Moses was self-inflicted. Don't get so distracted by just what you're going through that you forget to ask God what he's trying to show you. See who he is. See how he wants to use this. See how he's going to reveal himself to you. There'll be things he teaches you about himself that that's the only place you get to learn them. And knowing him that way is worth it. So God often reveals himself to us in the wilderness more than in the palace. Second thing I wrote down, God's presence makes the common holy. You can put a comma there if it helps you pause the right way. Moses has been tending sheep for 40 years, and there's nothing naturally holy about tending sheep out in the wilderness. God shows up and sets a bush on fire, and all of a sudden God's like, take off your shoes because this is holy ground. Why is it holy? Because God was there. Because God showed up. Because God was revealing himself. And get it in the right order. God doesn't pick this place because it's holy and be like, I'll come there because it's holy. God picks this place, this common place, and when he comes, his presence makes it holy. And the reason I want to emphasize that is because God isn't picking people who are already holy on their own and saying, hey, I'll use you because you're holy enough. God picks common, ordinary, unclean people, unholy people, and he says, when I come to live in you, my presence will make you holy. I will make you set apart. I will call you out and set you apart and give you my presence for my purposes. And again, it's what you saw last week with Jesus and the leper. An unclean person, a person that according to the law, they're supposed to avoid and they can't touch. And Jesus reaches out and touches him before he heals him. But he's going to make him clean. He's going to make him holy. But one of the things Jesus does in that moment is Jesus makes himself unclean by touching this unclean person. According to the law, Jesus becomes unclean under the law so that this unclean person can be made clean. Jesus becomes unholy according to the law so that this unholy person can be made holy. God's presence makes the common holy. And God promises in Jesus to come and live inside of you by his spirit and make you holy. And holy means set apart, set apart for his purposes. It's not you. It's not your work. 
It's not your own righteousness that makes you holy and set apart for God. It is Jesus and his work and his righteousness and his presence inside of you. And God offers to give that to you fully. Like God qualifies you for what he's calling you to do. So God's presence makes the common holy. This one's another way of stating it. God is a holy God who comes to find unholy people. Moses is out there because he murdered a guy. Moses is fled. He's a fugitive from justice. (laughs) And God shows up, this holy God who says, I'm so holy that even when I just set this bush on fire, the ground around it is holy now. And a God that holy comes to a murderer like this and is like, I can still use you. I will still use you. I have chosen to use you. Moses isn't picking God. Moses isn't looking for God. God shows up and is like, hey, murderer who's been on the run for 40 years, who wrecked your whole life, you're the guy I want. You're exactly who I'm looking for. I pick you. I'm calling you. I'm going to use you. God is a holy God who comes to find unholy people. You all already said this in several ways. So I'm just going to, God hears our cries. God cares about our suffering. And then really focusing on the I am as we wrap up right here to go into worship. You know, when Moses says, hey, what if they don't believe me? God says, I'll be with you, and I am. You know, what if, what if I don't speak well enough? I made your mouth, and I am. I am who I am. I am is sending you. Like everything he brings up, it's either I am, or it's like, I'll give you, okay, fine. Staff, you got it. Cloak, you got it. Water on the ground, you got it. You're going to keep arguing? Aaron, you got it. I'll give you what you need. I'll give you who you need. I am everything you need. And I just want to hear these, like when we think about him saying the name I am. I read somebody that said, it's like a blank check that he's giving. I am, and then fill in whatever you need right there. And that's what we're going to watch Jesus do in the Gospel of John. I am the bread of life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the gate. I am the good shepherd. I am the true vine. Like He just does it over and over and over. And so right here in this narrative, I want you to hear what God's saying to Moses And what God's saying to you and me in this name, God's saying, I am everything you're not. And if you go back and reread it again, just notice, every time Moses says, I don't have this, or I can't do this, or I'm not good at this, God's response is never, oh yeah, well actually you are. God's response is, yeah, I know you're not, but I am. God God does not equip Moses by giving Moses a higher view of himself. God equips Moses by giving Moses a higher view of God. Right? It's not, Moses doesn't need more self-esteem. Moses needs more God-esteem. Like, the the honest view of Moses is, yeah, you're everything you, Moses, you're worse than you just said. (laughs) But God's better than you think. And so for everything Moses is like, well, I'm not. God's like, yeah, I know, but I am everything you're not. Well, I'm not this. I know, 
I am everything you're not. And so see that about God. Hear him saying that to you. Look, if you look to yourself, you're going to come up short. It's going to feel hopeless because you're not enough. But God says, but I am. Every single thing you're not, I am. So if you will stop looking at yourself and start looking at him, you'll see everything that you need. Everything that you're not but need to be, he is, and you'll see it in him. So I am everything you're not. And then I am everything you need. It's not, God doesn't just end with, you know, this first one is in a sense the condemning word of the gospel. Where it's like, you're right, you're not those things. I am these things and you're not. But then God says, but I don't leave you on your own to try to become these things. I'll be these things for you. The, 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 maybe the best thing in that whole passage is when God says, I'll be with you. I know you can't talk this way. I know you can't lead this way. I know you can't do this but I will be with you. I know you're not these things, but I am, and I will be with you. And so God's like, yeah, you're not, and I'm everything you're not, but I will also be everything you need. Everything that I am that you're not, I'll come and give to you. All the things you don't have, you will have. It just won't be because of you. It'll be because of God. Do you hear that in that passage? Like every single thing that Moses is going to be able to do to convince these people and convince the Egyptians that he's supposed to lead the Israelites out of Egypt, not a single one of them is something he can do apart from God. It's all stuff that God's going to do for him and God's going to do in him and God's going to do through him. It is God giving Moses everything he needs because God has everything Moses needs. Like the, the I am everything you're not is how holy and great God is, how, how great God is. The I am everything you need is how good God is and how gracious. This great God who has everything doesn't just sit up here and be like, well, I've got it, you don't. Tough luck for you, I'm done with you. He's like, I've got it, you don't, and I'll give it to you. I'll be it for you. I will be with you and I will do this through you. And then I wrote it down one more way just so you could hear it. The promise that he makes before Moses ever goes. I will be everything that I am for you. He's like, I am all of this. I'm everything you're not. I'm everything you need. And I promise I will be all that I am for you. You go, and I know you're not qualified, and I know you're not capable, and I know you're not able, but I will be everything that I am for you. The great I am will be with you. And the thing is, we take one more step from that, from Exodus to now, because Jesus has come, and Jesus has lived and died and been resurrected. And if you want to hear the Jesus truth this morning, it's Jesus is the great I am. There's a reason why he takes that phrase over and over and over when he's on earth, and the people know what he's doing. There's multiple times in John that they want to kill him for it because he's making himself equal to God. He's like, everything you've ever believed about God is the great I am. That's me. I am everything you're not, and he is. When you're unrighteous and unholy, Jesus is righteous and holy. And he's just like, and I'm everything you need, and I will be everything I am for you. That Jesus gives his righteousness to you, gives his perfect obedience to you, 
gives his life and his blood for you, and he takes your sin on himself, becomes unclean, becomes common, becomes dirty for you so that he can make you clean and holy in him. Jesus is the great I am, and Jesus is everything that you need, and Jesus promises that he will be everything that you need for you. In you. And that's the thing that's even better. The I am that Jesus gives us now, here's how it's better even than the I am that God gave Moses. God said, I will be with you. And Jesus dies and he's resurrected and he ascends to heaven and he says, now I'll send my spirit and I will be in you. As great as everything that you see with Moses right here. And listen, having God with you, it's great. Like it's really, really great. He gets his people out of Egypt. He does everything he promised. What Jesus promises you is even greater. Not just with you, but in you. The life of Christ living in you, producing himself in you. His love, his righteousness, his patience, his goodness, his kindness, his compassion, his courage, his strength living through you. This is why, this is why we go to the ends of the earth. This is why we share the gospel. This is why we make disciples. This is why when the fear is in there that Jordan was talking about, we open our mouths and we say, hey, will you study the Bible with me? Will you pray with me? Will you ask, ask God to show us who he is? Let's look at the Bible together and see who God is and see how Jesus is the answer for what's going on in your life. This is why we do this here and why we do this all over the world and why we want to partner with people all over the world because Jesus is living in his people. Jesus is living in you by his spirit for this purpose, to make the great I am known because everyone needs him. Like When God says, I am everything you're not, he's saying that to all of us. And when he says, I am everything you need, he's saying that to all of us. And he's saying, let me use you to say that to other people. Let me use you to give people this promise. I will be for you everything I am. And so it's for you. Hear it this morning for you. Hear God's promise to you in Jesus. And then also hear God's promise to the world in Jesus. And that because you've heard it and you know it, he wants you to share it with others. And so one more time as we pray and worship, God's saying to you, I am everything you're not. I am everything you need. And I will be everything I am for you in Jesus because of Jesus. Let's pray right now and thank God for that. Father, thank you for the truth of your word. Please keep speaking to our hearts by your spirit right now and help us see you and love you and respond in the type of faith that, that grabs hold of the truth of who you are and that we build our lives on you and we offer our lives to you. I pray that you'll make us this type of church and that you, Father, I ask you to do the work that only you can do. Not what we are or not what we think we can be and not even what we think we need to be, but who you are as the great I am. That is all of our hope. And we put all of our hope in you. And we pray that we will see it more and more in our lives and in this church. Father, please do the work that only you can do because of who you are. And thank you that you have let us see who you are in Jesus. So it's in his name that we pray. Amen.
We're going to have people down here to pray with you. If you'd like to pray with somebody or talk about what God's doing in your life, or if you just want to come pray on your own, this time's always set aside for that. But also all of us, let's stand and sing and worship together right now.